So open your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In the very end, around verse 22, I'm going to... I'm going to be all over. This is the grounding verse for our for a message today. I'm going to be all over the place, predominantly in the beginning and the end of the Bible. Uh, I got a lot of scripture to to, to use, but uh, this is the grounding place for our our message. Let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Jesus, open up your word for us that we might be fed as those who have great hunger. Lord, I even pray that we would set our manners aside as we feast on your word. I pray that there'd be something like a Viking banquet hall, <laughs> that we would just get after it. We would be so hungry for your word that we would, we would dive in. And feed us, Lord, with your word. Let it be nourishing. Let it find the deep and the rich places and the hungry places of our heart that we might be nourished and strengthened and encouraged and challenged, empowered by your word to go out and to do every good work. Primarily, Lord, what we need from your word is we need to be formed by it, by grace, to be made more like you. And so, Lord, if you're going to do that at all, uh, you probably, not probably, you you definitely need to start with my heart. Otherwise, I have nothing to say. And so, Jesus, uh, come. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love the, the uh, King James Version for its pageantry. I love it sometimes for its, um, just the way it sounds. But I don't always use it because th- there's a lot of places where it's, you know, we just have better language now than we did in that original translation. We don't generally worry about talking about unicorns anymore, although unicorns are referenced in the King James. There's a lot of ways in which the language is much more precise today, but occasionally the King James gets something so precise and so that I love it. And in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 22 and 23, which is the only place where this word Maranatha exists, or this, really it's an Aramaic phrase that we translate into this single word Maranatha, it's the only place that it exists exactly as it does. And not only that, it exists next to another Greek word. And this is exactly how it appears in the King James Version. It says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema Maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Corinthians 16, 23. I, I happen, I don't think I have it um, Lou, if somebody could help you, maybe you could throw that up there in the, e- the ESV, 1 Corinthians 16.22, the ESV. Because I believe in the ESV it says this, if anyone has no love of the Lord, if anyone has no love, let that one be accursed. Come, Lord. I think that's what the ESV says. And so I want to use that as a grounding place today because I want to shift a bit. Brian, last week, preached, uh, I think, a very precise and fantastic message that I would call something like the Maranatha mandate, you know, which is to, you know, drop your nets, you know, if, if, when he calls, as Adam said, you know, when he, when, you know, identifying that call in your life to follow me, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you, uh, fishers of men, that there, uh, that there is no higher calling in our life but to drop the nets and follow him. Here it is in the ESV, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. That's anathema. Our Lord come, Maranatha. That's the ESV. And I want to, you just leave it there for a second, and we'll unpack that. 
But I want to get into this week, what I would call, in the next couple of weeks, what I would call a, a Maranatha mindset. So we've talked a lot about, you know, what it means and why we're going this direction. And, uh, and like I said, Brian got into maybe the mandate. of. I want to get into the mindset. Now, what do I mean by a mindset? You all know what I mean by this. Um, <clears throat> you know, you can, there's all kinds of things that are, that are you know, both, well, for example, the weekend. You know, the weekend is a literal time, you know, from depending upon your job, sometime Thursday or Friday, you know, through Sunday or whatever, you know, most of us would say Saturday and Sunday, Friday night to Monday morning, that's the weekend. It, but it's also a mindset. Isn't there a mindset of a weekend? Like you kind of get into the weekend kind of mindset. I did a podcast uh, the other night with Kevin and a couple of other guys on Sabbath. And we talked about how Sabbath is both a literal day, Shabbat is a literal day and a mindset. It's this idea of entering into the rest of God and having God's, the rest of God enter into you. And, and, mindset is important because it's more than just an idea. It's more than just a concept of, or, or, so Maranatha is this thing that we say, we sing, we, 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 we've named our church. It's now, a, it's now a noun. We are Maranatha. Somebody said that this shirt, we are Marshall. We are Maranatha, you know. Um, but, it's, but it has to be more than just a name of a church. It has to actually infiltrate us in our hearts to a place where we, 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 we live we live in the, in the power of it. One of the things that I heard, the, the, the voice, the, the gravelly voice that you heard on that 30-second uh, video that Brian put up on the send was Lou Engel's voice. And when I went to the preview event at Grace uh, Church, Rocky and Terry Morris's church, Lou Engel came and spoke. He said this, and it really struck me. He says, live your life under the shadow of a dominating prophecy. Live your life under the shadow of a dominant prophecy. Like, like let, you know, something that, that, that you just kind of, you know, that you go after. And I believe that Maranatha is a dominant prophetic word. It's a, it's a sort of thing that has to go over, you know, go beyond being the banner of our church and get deep into our hearts that we might live it out. And I want to kind of unpack what that looks like. Again, here you see uh, this verse, which is the only verse where in the Greek this word occurs exactly as this Maranatha. But as You'll see, it's like learning a new word. Once you learn the new word, you get the concept, you have the mindset, you begin to see this cry, Maranatha, all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Every prophet calling for the Lord to come into the situation and fix it is saying Maranatha. And it, it's a Genesis to Revelation reality. And I, and I want to unpack that for us. So we see Maranatha, and again, in the King James, alongside of this concept. It's actually a kind of a harsh verse, isn't it? I mean, if you look at this, let, what's Paul saying? Uh, and maybe in the weeks to come, I'll unpack 1 Corinthians 16 a little more deeper and get into the context. But Paul is ending this powerful letter where there's a lot of division in the church by, by celebrating unity. And then at the end, just kind of reminds him, though, if anyone isn't with us, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let that one be a curse, anathema. And anathema is a powerful word. It means, it, it, it's, it means to be banned. It means, uh, when in the Old Testament... There, when, when the Israelites would, would conquer a people and it said you can't take any of their stuff, like all that stuff has to be set up and devoted and you can't give it. It has to be, you know, given to the Lord or destroyed. That was called the ban. They couldn't take anything. That, the, the, whenever that occurs in the Hebrew and then the Old Testament translated in Greek, it uses the word anathema to describe that stuff. It's, it's, it's set apart in a way that, for destruction. And so this is a very, very harsh you know, reality that's being, 
that's being put forth here. But I want to get at it, what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is, essentially, if there is no evidence of love for Jesus, that equates with no evidence of being regenerated, of being a new person, a new, having a new heart. If there's no evidence in your life of love of Jesus, you can speak it with your lips. Jesus says, many of you say, Lord, Lord, won't be with me. You know, in the kingdom, we can say it with our lips, but if there's no actual evidence in our life that we are living a life of love in return to this one who's, who's paid the price for us, then there's no evidence of genuine regeneration. We're not a new person. Paul's not calling for perfection in this. Just to be clear, he's not saying, if anyone doesn't love Jesus perfectly with their whole heart entirely, then they're cut off. What he's saying is, when there is not one shred of evidence that we love Jesus, we're not his sheep. And so how do you show or demonstrate or manifest your love for Jesus? Well, Jesus says, uh, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy that those who love him love his appearing, that they actually look for him in all aspects of life, including this cry of, come, Lord. Uh, John says it in 1 John 2 this way. He said, if someone claims, hey, I know God, but doesn't obey God, that person isn't telling the truth. That person's a liar and, is, and is, is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God and love him should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, one commentator said it this way. I was reading about this, this concept, and I love the way this guy says it. He says, a man may lack clear-headed knowledge and still be saved. He may fail in courage and be overcome by the fear of man like Peter was, he may fall tremendously like David did and yet rise again. But if a person does not love Christ, he's not in the way of life. The curse is yet upon him. He's on the broad road that leads to destruction. And so the harsh reality of this verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 22 is it kind of lays things out very clearly. That there is this possibility for those who haven't gotten on the Jesus train, there, there, there's a point at which he's coming in, 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 in a final way in return. Next week I'll get into the difference between his first coming and his second coming. But there's a day he's coming back, and those who aren't on the train with him are on a broad road for destruction. The return of the Lord will bring blessings for some, but not for others. And here's the, port, the part that's important about that for you to get. God is not to blame in this equation. God, God must not receive blame uh, for our unbelief. You know, God, you know, do you know that the Lord didn't even, he didn't prepare hell for us? Read Matthew 25. It says he prepared it for, for you know, for, for the enemy, for the devil and his angels. And, and humanity goes there by choice. Uh, hell is a place of choosing or a place of rejection. What 1 Corinthians 16, 22 forms for us essentially is a warning with a simple fix. What's the simple fix? Love Jesus. <laughs> Give Jesus your heart, you know, love him with, you know, let the emotion, let the posture of your heart be turned toward him and let the actions, you know, reflect that that's true. So let me unpack this in two, if you can throw that uh, King James Version back up there. I want to unpack it by opposing those two words, anathema and maranatha, because what they essentially do is um, they, 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 they essentially bookend the Bible. So when, we, when you look at the anathema word, you can say, man, this, this really kind of uh, unpacks what we see in the very beginning of, of, of humankind. And when you see the, the Maranatha word, you kind of see how it all culminates. And so I want to unpack that for you. So if you have, if you're, I'm not going to have all this on the screen. You actually have to use your Bible or your phone, however you want to use it to get at the Bible. 
I mean not your Bible or your phone. I mean an actual Bible or the one that's on your phone. I, I, I validate the fact that there are Bibles on phones. I just really love the book. I, I'm an I'm a old man Bible bigot that I think you've got to have one. Right? Come on. I'll pray for you and your battery dies. <laughs> so, uh, so here in Genesis 3, here's the story. Let me rehearse it for you. In Genesis 3, you've got uh, Adam and Eve living in the garden. And uh, if you've been around here any length of time, you've heard me say, husband and wife, naked in the garden, without any shame, that's a good day. That's a good day. And, and there, there, there really is, you know, there, there's a wonderful sort of existence that's going on here. But, of course, the serpent enters in. He tempts Eve. Eve and Adam fall. Uh, they fall victim to the temptation. They, they, they succumb to the temptation, and, they, and sin enters the world through the, 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 the disobedience of taking the forbidden fruit. And what happens once this happens is that there's this whole course that leads to destruction. It leads to anathema. It leads to, you know, being cast outside of what was originally intended by creation. Do you know that in creation, in creation, when God says at the end of creation it was very good, there is no death. There's no death. And, and, and it's only after the fall that the death even enters into the world. And so there's this perfect existence. And so you can see if you read this, um, what happens is it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, and they realized they were naked. Is that a, I mean, how many of you would be willing right now to just strip off all your clothes and walk outside naked? It's a ridiculous notion, isn't it? Is anybody willing? Dan, No. Well, if I, so I don't know, how much would it take? Five million dollars, you do it. Fifty million. That's a pretty significant statement if for fifty million dollars is what it would take. So what you're saying is you could be bought because you might have enough money to get over your shame. Five hundred million, the number goes up. My, my point is that Adam and Eve didn't need anything to walk around in the garden naked. They just did. And there was no shame. But once shame, once the awareness of this enters in, all of a sudden they feel something they've never felt before. They, it says that they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day because that's what he does. And they hear him, they go, wow, here he is again in the garden because this is what he does, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. They'd never done this. God knows everything that's going on, but he provokes them with a question, not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to get at their hearts. He says, but the Lord God calls to the man, where are you? And and then in response, in the absolute first words ever recorded in human history of humankind addressing God. This is the first time we hear a human directly address God. The first word spoken by man to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. It's the very first interaction that we hear, that we get from a human speaking to God is one of, I don't want you to come near to me. I'm hiding from you. 
I'm ashamed. I'm naked. There's fear and there's hiding and there's uh, these first words are such a sad statement. And the Lord says, well, uh, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Of course, he knows the answer to this. And the man says, uh, and this is just the pattern of humanity right here. The man says, she made me do it. She made me do it. It's her fault. It's vic- it's the, it, if you wonder, if you think that the victim mentality that we suffer from in our culture today, that everything's externalized and it's not my fault, somebody else, it's because of this, the reason I'm not this, you think it's, it's something new, it's, it's right here in the garden. You know, it's not my fault. She made me do it. And the Lord says, what has you done? And then all of a sudden, the, the Lord begins to now have to, he rolls out a plan and he says, anathema. Are you above all livestock to the serpent? He says, he pronounces a curse on, and then, well, just as a little bit of an aside, if you want to know how good God is, there's something in verse 15 called the proto-evangelion. What proto is a Greek word for first. It means the first good news. The first good news is he prophesies. He, he lets the snake know. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he, her offspring, Jesus, will crush your head. He says, a day's coming when we're going to deal with this, but until then, you're cursed amongst all animals. And then he says to Adam, hey, because you listened to her and you ate from the tree that I told you not to eat from, the work that you do that you've loved, I mean, um, can you imagine not only, like, feeling passion for what you do, but everything you do is good? Like, man, I, I put that seed in the ground, and, I, and then something, and there was no weeds, and it grew up perfectly, and the fruit tasted great, and everything they did worked. And now all of a sudden, God says, well, because of what you've done, because of the way you've lived your life, the, the ground is going to be cursed so that you'll still produce out of it, but it's going to be toil. You're not going to like it. It's going to be, there's going to be struggle that's going to enter in because of this. And so all of a sudden we see that there's, there's, this, there, there's, this, there's this new way of existing that's entered into the world now where there's things aren't like they should have been. And even in this, you know, you look at verse 21, it says, the Lord God had made garments of, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You know what we call that? We call that grace. When, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, anathema, let that person be cursed, maranatha, but yet let the grace of the Lord come, I believe he has this in mind. He says, even in the absolute fall, when humanity is rightfully cut off from God because of, because of their sin, the grace of God overshadows that act and says, I'll, I'll cover your nakedness. But then if you look at, if you, you still got your Bibles open? Verses 22 to 24, here you go. Here you see anathema in explicit detail. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished, put him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove him out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way in the tree of life. In other words, you're out, the door's blocked, you can't come back in. This is anathema. This is what it looks like to be set out. It's sad. It's heartache. It's hard. If, if you read the Bible honestly and you enter in, you know, if you've never read it for the first time, or if you've never read it before and you're reading it for the first time, you wouldn't pick up a book probably and read in the, start in the middle if it was a novel. 
So if you read story properly, you open the beginning, you begin to read. So if you're reading from left to right, and you pick up this story, and you go, wow, it's so cool. This supreme being made all this stuff, and it's all good. And then like two pages into it, it's all bad. And you're like, I'm not sure I'm going to like this book, because there's like, you know, there's a thousand more pages to go. And, you, you, and you're reading, you know, and, and the whole in-between of the story is about this redemptive thread that runs through until you get to the very end. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, flip there. It shouldn't be hard. Just go to like the glossary or the maps and move backwards just a little bit. Revelation 22. And now you have this old man named John. You had this brand new man named Adam. The very first word he pronounces to God, the very first words he recorded, recorded God, of, of a man speaking to God saying, or the words of shame and hiddenness, get away from me. The very last words we have recorded in the Bible are old man John exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He's banished to an existence cut off from people. But he has this deep revelation of Jesus that so floors him. This is John who's like Jesus' closest buddy. I, I think you can make the argument easily make the argument that of the 12, there were three, and of the three, there was one, that that one that was the absolute best buddy, B-Fry, is John. And John, who is so close to Jesus, when he sees Jesus in Revelation 1, in his glorified state as he is now, he falls on his face like a dead man because Jesus is so glorious. And so that John, who knows Jesus this way, who is, who is, who is completely nourished, by the word, the revelation of God, even in this place of exile, in the very last words that we have recorded of man addressing God, says this, Maranatha. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, in other words, the last word addressed to the Lord by redeemed man is, come to me, come to me. I'm, I'm in exile, but come to me. Come, Lord, come. I, I'm crying out for you to come into this situation, come into my life, be with me. Do you see, do you see the, the, the difference in between? Hey, I just activated Siri somehow. That somehow there is this world of divide between the two, and in between the two responses. You see, anathema, we say Maranatha is... From the Lord has come to the Lord is coming, and we live in between. But anathema goes this side. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And, and we live somewhere in between that and this. And if we don't know the Lord, we don't, we, don't get, we don't have access to this, do we? We're still living on the anathema side. But once we, once we come into this relationship with Jesus, we, our lives are now hemmed in. We're, 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 the book... The bookshelf is bookended by he's come and he's coming. But if we don't know him, we're living on the outside of that, that place. And so, you know, here we have all of human history essentially encapsulated with two words, anathema, maranatha, the, the being set apart from God's presence in the garden to the very end saying, come, Lord, come to us. Come soon. Come quickly. And we live in between those two realities. And in between those two realities is the whole story of redemption unfolding. And so here's the question I have for you in terms of a Maranatha mindset. What's your response to that? What's your response even to, you know, John's, uh, you know, 
testimony, his testifying of, yes, Lord, when Jesus says, yes, I'm coming, and John says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. What's your response to that? I mean, because can I, can, can I just be like, we're, we're friends, right? I can just be direct with you. Um, I think a lot of times our response to this is, oh, Lord, can't you wait a little longer? I just, I got this trip planned to fill in the blank and just ordered the new car or I just got the new house or I'm up for the promotion or I, my life's kind of a, a wreck right now and I let, you know, let me get myself together and, and, and then come. All legitimate pursuits, you know, those, all, all those things are, I'm not delegitimizing any of those pursuits, but, but they're not in proper balance if they usurp the Maranatha mindset. Amen, even so, Lord, come. We, we should never be so connected or tied into the earthly pursuits that we can't respond. Amen, even so, come, Lord, right now, come. Our response has to be sing a little louder. That, you know, in, in the wake of anything that's here, we have to just sing a little louder, as, 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 as Kayla got at. That's an incredible song. I never heard that. Had any of you heard that song before? I'd never heard that song. Yeah, awesome. I'd never heard that song before. I love that song. And so... Let me just tell you, look at, look at Revelation 22, because I know you have your Bible. It's easier on the page because you can see it all at once. But look at Revelation 22, because once you get to, like, verse 7, the whole point of, of, of the end of the Bible is made really clear. Jesus is coming. The Lord is coming. It's the whole point of the end, the last half of the last chapter. Jesus says in verse 7, because this, this is a mystical it takes Bible scholarship. You need a PhD in, in biblical exegesis to unfold what this means. This is what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming soon. And then he says, because he, he then unpacks what that means, and then John gives a little bit of response of, wow, that's cool. And then verse 12, Jesus says, it's even more mystical. Behold, I am coming soon. And this time he adds on, my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I was before Genesis. I'm after Revelation. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. All the way back to Genesis. And may go through the gates into the city. Remember how the gates of the city are locked off? The cherubim guarding, he says, and they can go through back into into the gates of the city. But... Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. For those of you who are pet lovers, it doesn't mean literally dogs. I don't know the dogs are in heaven, but don't worry, your dogs, you know, this is meaning, though, you know, that's, this is an, it's an ancient Near East kind of thing. Anathema, that's anathema. Anathema, by the way, is the third level of Jewish, in, in Jewish law and in the Jewish mindset, it's the third level of punishment. The first level was hey, repent and go sit in the penalty box for 30 days. And the second level was, hey, you didn't get it, so go a little longer. We'll figure out how long it needs to be. And the third level is go and you can't come back. And so this is Jesus bringing back to reality 1 Corinthians 16. Look, I'm coming, and you'll be rewarded, but those who, those who don't love me aren't getting in. And, and, and then it says in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, whoever desires, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Again, does this require biblical 
like a PhD in biblical scholarship to understand what's being said here. The spirit and the bride say, come. Here's what I can't answer for you. Is this an invitation to to Jesus, asking him to come? Or is it an invitation to you and to me, those with a spiritual thirst to come? It doesn't, I don't know. Either way, it's certainly true. Well, so come. Who can come? Anyone who hears can come to Jesus, but they can't come unless they hear. Well, who can come? Anyone who thirsts can come to Jesus, but they can't come unless they feel thirst. Well, who can come? Whoever desires can come, but they can't come unless God works in their heart to produce desire. So how do you know? This is where the rubber meets the road. How do you know, friends, beloved, how do you know if God has worked in your heart? We'll go through a little checklist. You ready? Have you heard? Do you have any thirst in your heart for eternal life? Do you want, if, if there's this prospect of living eternally in the presence of God, do you want that? Do you want Jesus? I mean, this is a pretty simple checklist. If you, if you can say yes to those, then you know God has worked in your heart to produce a desire for him. There was, then the invitation is this, then come, come. Whoever desires, let him take water of life freely. This is an open invitation to come and to receive only what Jesus can give, which is he can, he, can, he can produce within you, not just salvation and healing from your sins, but the best life you could possibly live, abundant life. He's not going to exclude anybody who comes to him. This is Paul's point. If you have no love for Jesus, anathema. But Maranatha, come, you know, come to him. An invitation. Let me tell you what an invitation is. And then I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up with this. Because, I, I mean, I don't know technically. We use that word a lot. Either, you know, we use it in the church a lot, you know, there's an invitation. This, when the word, the word come is an invitation. An invitation is both an opportunity and a responsibility, right? If I invite you to come to a party at my house, it's an opportunity for you. Karen, I'd like you to come and have dinner. And, and it provides for you an opportunity to come and to be with us, right? And it also, though, creates responsibility. You can decline or accept and if you decline the invitation, and then you hear later, it was the best meal ever known to man, who do you have to blame? Just yourself. You have responsibility. Once the invitation has been made, the responsibility is then transferred. And I'm telling you clearly, I want you to hear clearly, friends, there's an invitation for you to come, to move off of the, either the cold side of your life where you don't live with God as the, as the head of your life, or move from the lukewarm part of your life where you kind of know him, but you're not really willing to go wherever he'd have you go. As Adam said earlier, you know, to live into the call that's on your life. And so, you know, this, is the, this book at the end, Revelation 22, says, whoever desires, let him come and take the water of life. It's an invitation so great. It's so powerful. It's so dominant that it could be a dominant prophecy that you live under for the rest of your life. If you desire more of Jesus, then come and receive. You, you might say this. this I'm going I'm to anticipate some of your responses. You might say, well, I don't understand all of the Christian doctrine and theology and all the stuff you're getting. I don't understand everything you said. Like this message you just preached, some of it went over my head. I don't understand. I say, come anyway. Because it doesn't say whoever understands. Let him take the water of life freely. Or you might say, well, I can't really repent the way I should because my heart is still hard. I really haven't forgiven that fill-in-the-blank person that did this and that to me, and I can't even weep over my sin and feel bad as the way I know the Bible says I should. I say, come anyway. Because it doesn't say whoever feels, let him take the water of life freely. 
Or you might say, well, I don't know if I can really live out a Christian life perfectly the way that I should because I see people in my life like, like you know, Brian. He seems to live such a great life. He's a worship leader, and I know he and Carrie never fight, and everything's perfect in their lives. Number one, that's not true. Not for him or for me or for anybody. But I say come anyway because it doesn't say whoever can let him take the water of life freely. Or you might say, you know what, Jeff, at the end of the day, I know I'm not worthy to live the Christian life. I assure you there are many of you here today who when you hear the voice of God, you hide. And you're hiding in the garden saying, I'm naked and I'm ashamed. And I'm not worthy of what you've done. And I'm telling you, come anyway. I'm begging you, come anyway. Because it doesn't say whoever is worthy. The only one worthy is the one that we sing to, that we sing louder to. He's the only one worthy. Let him take the water of life freely. This is what the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, says about this. He says, but mark the sinner. He says, take note of this sinner. It says, whosoever. What a big word that is. Whosoever. There's no standard height listed here. It is of any height and any size. Little sinners, big sinners, young sinners, dark sinners, fair sinners, sinners double-dyed, old sinners, aggravated sinners, sinners who have committed every crime in the whole catalog, whosoever come. It's really this simple. Do you desire Jesus more than you desire fill in the blank? Then come. I mean, can you say, now, Lord, I have within me this great weight of glory. I desire to have everything that you have for me. Give me a new heart. I desire to give up my sin. I desire to, to, be, a, to be a follower, to be made in your image. I desire to believe. I desire to obey. But I have no strength to do this on my own. I have the desire, but I don't have the power. Just as an aside, I'll tell you that one of the greatest problems that exists for all humankind is when we try to ascribe willpower to fix a spiritual problem. Willpower is a psychological concept. You're never going to fix a spiritual problem by trying harder. If it's your desire, then you're free. You're, you, can, you can freely accept an invitation to come if you're just willing There's no barrier between you and Jesus to come and receive what he wants to give you except stubborn will, honestly. What would prevent you from coming? Even if you say, I'm not good enough, it's just your stubbornness that's going to keep you believing that. I'm telling you, that doesn't matter. if you're, You're not good enough. None of us are good enough. But he is. You need, we need a Maranatha mindset. You need something implanted in your heart that compels you to cry out, Lord, even in the midst of all this brokenness, come. Like, Lord, help the boy. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. I, 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 so do I. Come. And so I don't, I don't know how Kayla and the team are going to close us. And I, I don't think there's any, like, I say this a lot, so I hope it, isn't, it isn't, uh, doesn't grow tired, you know, in your hearing, but there's no magic to an altar. It's not like, you know, when your knees touch this, it's like plugging in, you know, the phone and it recharges your battery or something like that. But there is something significant about moving. 
you can move right where you are. Your heart can shift where you are. Your mindset can change where you are. But I think the significance of moving is kind of like Billy Graham said about Jesus. He said he died publicly. You know, the least we can do is make our, 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 the change in our heart public. I, there is something significant that happens when you get up and move. And so I'm calling you in the name of Jesus to come. You can, how about this? If you're able, stand. We're going to sing. And I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to kneel. And so, Father, we say in Jesus' name, we agree. We're not under a curse if we'll just come. We do love you, Lord. But some of us haven't activated that love. And so for my brother or my sister, the one here who is most in need of having that Maranatha mindset placed in their heart right now, I say come. And for the one who thinks they need it the least or thinks they have no problems, I pray, Father, that you would break through. That's a very tremendous problem to have. And I just put this simple invitation out to all who are here. The Spirit and the Bride say come.